The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Never forget the time I had a sore throat. Bad sore throat. And I said, I have a sore throat. <laughs> and my mother said, let me feel your, let me feel your forehead. Mothers are always feeling things, you know. Let me feel your head. Let me feel your arm. Doctors do that, too. A lot of doctors do that. They're wonderful people. No, I love doctors, but there's only one thing, two things I've found fault with. I can find fault with doctors. One, you could have a busted leg. Your your leg could be hanging out, and the guy will still want to feel it. You know, let me feel it. Does that hurt? Hey! Yeah, does that hurt? Does that hurt? And they always keep the stethoscope in the freezer. I warm that thing up with my hands. Whenever I go to see my doctor, I grab a stethoscope. I pull it right out of the refrigerator and I start warming it up with my hands. And they put that cold thing on you and they say, take a deep breath. You can't help but take a deep breath. The problem is trying to breathe out now. So I'm sitting on the emergency ward. With my, with my sore throat, and the doctor comes out, he says, uh, what's the matter? He says, son, my son has a sore throat. I said, okay, take a look at it. Ah. Oh. Say ah. Oh. oh. So, oh, well, this is it. He said, he, he's really got it. He's got tonsillitis, Mrs. Connery. Oh, all right, well, what do you want to do? Well, we, uh, we usually uh, do a tonsillectomy on uh, Wednesday, which is the day after tomorrow. You can leave him here tonight. What are you guys going to leave who? <laughs> You're not leaving me nowhere. Can't my mother sleep with me? No, no, your mother's not going to sleep with me. Well, somebody's got to sleep with me. I'm not sleeping nowhere by myself. Well, you're just going to, we're going to operate on you. Operate who? <laughs> my, don't let them operate on me. Please, don't let them, don't let them do nothing bad. What are they going to cut? Well, it's, uh, don't worry about it. It's just, just going to cut two things in your throat. Two things in my throat! <laughs> And then I won't be able to talk or what? Yes, you'll be able to talk. Listen, son, let me explain to you. Your tonsils, your tonsils, which we're going to have to take out, guard your throat, you see. 
they stand there, they're two guards, they have hand grenades, bazookas, and everything, and anything bad that comes into your mouth, they fight it off. <laughs> See, well, uh, in your case, your tonsils have lost the war. Uh, as a matter of fact, your tonsils have gone as far as to join the other side, you see. And they're gonna kill you if we don't cut them out. Well, they're gonna hurt and everything. No, we're not gonna hurt you. Now listen, as a matter of fact, listen to me now. When they cut your tonsils out, don't you know, are you ready for the lie? They'll give you all the ice cream in the world you can eat. Is that right? I can have all ice cream in the world I can eat? Yes, I'm not kidding. You're, you don't tell me no fibs now, Mom. No, no, I'm not kidding. You all the ice cream, say honest to God. Honest to God. Boy, you guys are in trouble. Because I can eat a mess of ice cream, I'm telling you now. I, one time I ate a whole elephant full of chocolate. I, can I have chocolate? You can have chocolate. Oh, boy. Take me wherever I'm supposed to go now. You can cut off my whole neck for some chocolate ice cream, man. So they marched me in and I turned, on my, I turned in my civvies and they gave, me that, uh, they gave me that hospital, that hospital thing that you put on where the back is open. And, and, you, and you, you, you're afraid to, you know, you're back away from people and you bump into the walls in there, you know, marble wall, ice cold. And the, and the iron cribs are ice cold. You, you, this is so cold, you stick to the cribs, you know. And, gee whiz, man. So I, I marched on a ward and they introduced me to my two buddies. This is Johnson. Hey, Johnson, how you doing? You gotta get some ice cream too? Yes, they, they told me I'd get some ice cream. Yeah, well listen, man, when the nurse leaves, I'll talk to you about that ice cream later. Because we're gonna eat a mess of ice cream. <laughs> And this is Rudolph. How you doing, Rudolph? You gotta get some ice cream? Yeah, yeah, I've got ice cream. Yeah, boy, eat it up. Okay, poor boy. All right, nurse, you may leave now. <laughs> We're all right. So, we sat down. We looked at each other. And we said, ice cream. Ice cream? We're gonna eat ice cream. And we will eat it every day in the middle of the night, man. We're singing ice cream. It'll eat that ice cream. And the nurses are padding the doors, locking them up. And we're going to eat ice cream. Listen, you know what I'm going to do? When I get my first bowl of ice cream, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to touch it or, or, or eat it or nothing. I'm going to smear it all over my body, man. Just smear it all over my face and eyes and hair and everywhere. And then I'm gonna put a green cherry in my navel. And I'm gonna be the most beautiful chocolate sundae you've ever seen in your life. Ice cream. I'm gonna eat ice cream. I'm telling you now, ice cream. Sing along with me now. And the whole day passed, man. Every time the orderly brought by the breakfast cart, man, phew. all right, let's have a breakfast. And we'd eat it up, man. Our stomachs would swell up. We ate so much. You gotta keep eating a lot so your stomach will stretch, man. Lunchtime, bring it in. Ah, eating everything. Make it stretch out. Make it stretch out. Bring in the dinner. Ah, and the supper. Ah, we ate everything, man. Preparing for the ice cream. Okay, and we didn't even sleep the night of surgery. Hey, man, yeah, we're gonna get some ice cream and everything. Ice cream. Ice cream! We're gonna get ice cream! And that morning, the orderly went by with the breakfast cart. <laughs> hey! You! Almost a doctor!
thing, man. We gotta eat this morning. You're not getting nothing to eat. How come? Because you're getting your tonsils out. Well, what's that gotta do with it? When you get your tonsils out, you can't have any food in your stomach because you throw up. Are you kidding? One time I ate a dead frog. I didn't throw up or nothing, man. Bring that breakfast cart back here. And he went away. In came the nurse with the gurney. You know, the gurney's the thing that they, they put you on to take you down to surgery. And the wheels on the gurneys are always the same. They always have that wobble like there's a windstorm going on about six inches above the ground. That's why a lot of women never make it to the delivery room. Baby's out, take her back. Save money, time and space, you know. So she wheeled it in, we all stood up. Ice cream! We're gonna eat ice cream! All right, now it's time to go to surgery. Who's going first? Take me! No, take me! I wanna go. No, no, you gotta get. Listen, CB4, V, and S. You guys hit strawberry vanilla, and I'm C as alphabetically. I go first, you know. No, we're gonna take Johnson, because he was here first. Oh, sure. Okay, Johns, go ahead, man. Get that ice cream. Cut it up, man. All right, go ahead, Johns. Johnson stepped on the gurney. Well, suckers, I guess you know what this means. If they run out of strawberry, vanilla and chocolate are definitely in jeopardy. Okay, Johnson, don't eat it up from us, though. Hey, Johnson, Johnson, go ahead, babe. And we sat down, man, and we looked at each other. Ice cream, we're gonna eat ice cream. And boom, Johnson's back! Okay, you are you ready? Yeah, me too. Go ahead, Jess. Hey, Jess, wake up. <laughs> hey, Jess, how come your eyeballs just keep waving around in the air? No, I seen it. That's ketchup, right? That's ketchup on his mouth, coming around from his mouth. Ain't it ketchup? Please say it's ketchup because we ain't the thing that you killed, Johnson. <laughs> to kill Johnson. They picked him up. Johnson was like a wet rag. <laughs> oh, man. I picked the bottle up and broke it. <laughs> All right, who's next? Get away from me. <laughs> okay, fight him off, Rudy. I'll hit him off here. They ain't touching neither one of us. Rudy started crying. Oh, no. Rudy had the funniest cry you ever wanted to see. He would run whenever he cried. Oh, no, 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 And they picked him up and they strapped him down on the gurney, man, and they took him away. Rudy, keep fighting, babe. Keep fighting. Just remember one thing. Keep your mouth closed. <laughs> Jesse. Johnson, wake up, babe. Ice cream. You gotta sing with me. Ice cream. Always oh, dancing. <laughs> Boom. All right, Rudy, did you keep it? No, you didn't keep it. They got it. Okay, William, you're next. Well, wait. Wait. Before you touch me, I have a confession to make. Does it mean anything to you if I say that I just had breakfast? Okay, I'll go peacefully. And they put me... They put me on a gurney and they, they covered me up with a sheet up to my neck. They put me on the elevator and I knew I was going to die. <laughs> and I hadn't really prepared myself for it. 
and it was pitiful. You know, when you're only five years old and your life passes before you, it's pitiful, man. You really don't have that much of a life to pass before you. It was just a little, and then it was gone. I had to call for a rerun. And they brought me into surgery. Doctors and nurses all got their masks on so you can't tell who they are. And they put a needle in my arm and let the thing go. And the doctor said, count backwards from 100. 100, nine. I didn't even make it to the second nine. I was so pitiful. Of course, now, I understand that if you're an alcoholic, you can last longer. Now, if they ever get my old man on an alcohol, they're really in trouble, man. I know Dad will give him trouble. Four, three, two, one, zero. Now, what else do you want me to do? I think you better get another bottle. Yeah, that's what I need, a bottle. You better give me a bottle. Not for the arm, for the mouth. And the thing pressed me through the table. And I remember, I remember I wanted to wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Yep. And it's time to wake up. Okay. Well, why don't you open your eyes? Nope, don't want to. <laughs> How come? Well, because every time I open my eyes, the room starts to act silly. <laughs> Going around in circles and I'm jumping up and down. I don't want to. I don't want to wake up. I just stay like this, half awake, half asleep, and just hum a little bit. How's your mouth feel? Oh, it's dry. Very dry. And your tongue? It's dry too, yeah. And the lips are dry, and the tongue is dry, and the mouth is dry, and the throat is dry, and everything is dry, 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 dry. <laughs> what, do you want to swallow? Yep. Well, why don't you? Nobody asked me. <laughs> I right, try and give it a little swallow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, brain? Yes, this is throat. Yeah, you better get some work done down here. Somebody, somebody killed a kid or something. <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Mistress of the Dark with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The time Program.com. 
This is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I don't know if you uh, realize this or not, but September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and we're going to talk about that a little bit with uh, pediatric oncologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Dr. Ann Riley. Dr. Riley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me today. Um, I, for me, when I when I first uh, became aware that this was Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, I didn't realize that, I, I, I guess I had this old notion that cancer was for old people, yet... <laughs> Um, it's the leading cause of death from disease for children under the age of 15. That's correct. It's about about 11,000 children in the United States under 15 or so will uh, get cancer in 2020. Um, and about 1,100, 1,200 of those children will die of their cancer. Now, so chil- it's rare, but it definitely happens, and it happens to children of all ages. Is it, when you say it's rare, is it, increasing has it increased over the decades is there a reason why i don't associate cancer with children and young people i mean there it may be increasing slightly but i think um i think part of the reason that people are more aware honestly is that we're doing much better with our treatments and children are surviving much better than they did so if you think you know back in the 70s the five-year survival for cancer was probably 58 or 60 percent. Now in 2020, it's about 85 percent. So I think you're hearing about children who are going through cancer treatment, and I think people are more aware of that. And, and I did want to mention that uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia is a leading uh, pediatric uh, cancer care center. Um, you have, have talked about um, as as cancer research evolves it's it's leading to better and more personalized treatments for children with cancer and i want to talk about that a little bit because i think because of the covid-19 uh, pandemic people are much more aware of the process that happens with regard to uh, developing uh, treatments cures and and vaccines and it's a long arduous process doesn't it make individualized treatment very difficult and expensive? It is very difficult and expensive, but it's very worth it. When you think about, you know, traditional treatments for cancer, chemotherapy and radiation, they have lots and lots of side effects because they attack lots of the tissues in the body in addition to the cancer. Here at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, we've been able to do research that create targeted therapies that just target the cancer itself and minimize side effects. And it is a really long and laborious process. For example, we have, uh, we were one of the first hospitals to, we were the first hospital to treat children with uh, CAR-T therapy or immunotherapy. This is a treatment in which you actually take a type of white cell lymphocyte out of the child, teach it in the lab to recognize the child's cancer, infuse it back into the child, and it kills the cancer. That's a, a, a therapy that is specific for that child's leukemia. It takes a long time. It's very difficult to do. The research took years to do, but wow, it's really been a game changer in treating relapsed leukemia. So research is really important in bringing these new therapies that are more effective and have less side effects uh, to children. 
Does the the fact that we we see cancer like this and we see different cancers uh, in children and in different parts of the body, but but does it tell us that that there's even more to genetics in cancer uh, diagnosis and treatment than um, than we used to believe? I think we're learning more and more every day, and we know a lot about the genes of the cancer that make the cancer do what it does. I think we're still trying to figure out why one person gets a cancer and another doesn't. There are, you know, a small number of families in which cancer runs in the family and that affects the children. You know, here at CHOP, we have a cancer predisposition program to sort of help us better understand those hereditary factors. And there are maybe, you know, 10% of childhood cancers may have some hereditary basis. For the rest of them, I just don't think we understand what the interplay between, you know, the the genes that the child has and the um, environment or other things that happen to the child over their life. We just don't understand why the other 90% of those kids get cancer, but we're working on it. And that's part of the research. Because if you can understand how the cancer grows, you have a much better chance of being able to, to make it stop. When, when cancer develops in a, a child, um, are we less likely to discover it early, or are there some things that we should be looking for to try to catch it early? because most of the symptoms of childhood cancer look like the symptoms of regular childhood illness. So it's difficult because most children just have a normal childhood illness. And I think um, just having, you know, pediatricians who are thoughtful and careful and really follow up signs that don't go and symptoms that don't go away, I think is the best thing uh, right now. There's no real, you know, signature um, symptom that you think, well, that means cancer in a child. And that does make it difficult, right? Because in adults, you think of certain things that make you go to the doctor for cancer. But in children, it, it can be difficult to figure out which child is having, you know, a symptom of cancer. Um, you know, and so I think, uh, again, it's part of the research to try to figure out why children get cancer and see if you can figure out, you know, early on what's the genesis of that and who, who might have that, who might be at risk. Um, Research is just so important to every aspect of, of taking care of children with cancer. Is a way to um, easily test part of that, that research? Is there some universal test that all kids could take, like an eye test or, um, uh, you know, some, some other Wouldn't test? Wouldn't that be great? Well, you understand what I'm getting at. Is there is there a yeah. way to universally test kids so that if cancer is present, it alerts pediatricians. I wish there was, but there really isn't. You know, when you think about cancer in children, um, there are many, many different types. Cancer in children can happen in almost any tissue of the body, uh, you know, um, any area, and it's unexpected. It usually happens in children, as we've talked about, who don't have a family history of cancer, who don't have a hereditary reason to have the cancer, and there really is no one test. Um, so that makes it difficult, uh, and uh, I wish there was, but right now there isn't. So it's just, you know, good pediatric care. Uh, yeah. And then when we find a child with cancer, figuring out how to treat them. Um, and and when you find a child with cancer, what does that tell you, um, or how does that inform you uh, for finding the next child with cancer? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you learn from every patient that you see, and you learn every child is a little bit different and has a little bit of a different presentation. But the other thing we do, part of the things that we do at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, we're doing a lot of research into trying to find cures, but we're also trying to figure out how what makes cancer grow. And so, for example, we maintain a tissue bank where, you know, every child who has a cancer, we ask the family and the child, are you willing to have some of your cancer tissue be in our tumor bank so that our doctors can do research on those cells and try to figure out different aspects of the cancer. And so, you know, from that point of view, um, doing research uh, to help you understand how things have happened and what kind of cancer each child has helps you in the future take care of other children. You mentioned um, that uh, very often cancer presents in children with symptoms that are similar to other childhood illnesses, and that makes it difficult for pediatricians to pick up on it. How can parents even know to go to a pediatrician if they think their child has a common cold? Well, I think in general, um, parents usually know when there's something different wrong with their child. Ah. And most of the kids that I meet with cancer, the parents will say to me, I know it looks like a cold, but this one is different. And so I think it's important for parents to be able to communicate with their pediatrician, I feel like this is different. I feel like this cold or this bruising or this lump is different than what he had before. And I think, you know, improving or, you know, making sure that the communication with your pediatrician conveys how you feel is really important. Because I find parents are really very good at knowing when something is wrong with their children. In in adult patients, um, cancers are usually discovered through somewhat routine procedures or, or procedures that have become routine as, as uh, medical science is more and more on the lookout for these things, but chest x-rays and CT scans and things of that nature that might be recommended um, often in an adult patient um, with or without symptoms, and, and these things get discovered, how, um, wh- what kind of tests do show cancers in children? See, that's the thing, because children get different kinds of cancer than adults, um, and the cancers can occur in many different parts of their body, there is no one test. So when you think about adult cancers, you think about things that are very common. So breast cancer is very common, so you can do mammograms in women and know that you'll get a certain number, you'll catch a certain number of cancers. But relatively speaking, even though cancer is the most, you know, the second leading cause of death from disease in children, we still only get about 11,000 children in the entire country a year that get cancer. And so screening those children with x-rays, for example, would expose large numbers of children to radiation to diagnose a very, very tiny number. Um, so it's not worth what, you know, it's not worth it, actually, um, to, to, to expose all of those children to that kind of testing when you don't actually know what you're looking for. Um, so I think, and... Um, The things that that help us diagnose cancer in children are things that, uh, you know, are different in the child. So the child has a new lump. The child has very unusual bleeding and bruising that's different than before. Um, You know, the child is having trouble breathing. It's usually something that is that that intensifies and is abnormal enough for a parent to bring the child to the pediatrician saying this this is not the normal thing. It looked normal in the beginning. Um, the child, you know, had some bruises or was tired or had, but it just keeps getting worse until the pediatrician is prompted to do the testing and to find it. 
How much is genetic and, and can family history, um, you know, help parents and, and pediatricians of children be on the lookout? And, and how much of it is environmental? Again, we don't really know, but we do know that about 10% of childhood cancers, up to about 10%, may have some hereditary basis. Um, you know, since the ability to test uh, for genes, you know, um, in people, you can test chromosomes and genes now in lots of ways, it has allowed us to identify some abnormal genes that run through families that can cause cancer. And so uh, usually you can, you know, tell, uh, a pediatrician can tell from the family history whether that's likely. And again, here at CHOP, we have a cancer predisposition program so that if there's a question that there are something running in the family that might affect the child, we can do some testing to help try and figure that out. Um, So for about that 10% of cancers, uh, sometimes we can help with that and sometimes we can't. But the other 90%, it, it's just unclear right now. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to tell why one child gets cancer and the child next door doesn't right now. Uh, maybe in 10 or 20 years, research will help us understand that better. Right now, it seems to be at some level bad luck, and I know that doesn't sound very medical. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just it's a little bit of a black box to us right now. Um, but but there are things that we know contribute potentially to cancer, smoking and certain kinds of, of diet things. There's even been uh, uh, talk of, of proximity to cell phones and, and other technology. Um, are, those, are, are there different risks for children than adults in, in getting cancer that, that maybe we could be steering people away from? Well, I wish there was. I mean, children's cancers, again, they're different than adults. So many of the adult cancers, as you pointed out, are the culmination of a life of choices. So if you choose to smoke, your chance of lung cancer is much greater. I meet very few smokers under the age of 15. You know what I mean? The children yeah. are doing that. And I think that... Um, what, what we realize about children's cancers is that they're different than adult cancers. There's some, you know, if you're going to get a cancer when you're 6 or 12, it's got a completely different way of having grown than an adult cancer that has grown because you've been drinking alcohol your whole life or smoking cigarettes or, you know, whatever it is that you've been doing um, that may have some effect on your cancer risk. For example, we know diet in adults has some some um, effect on their risk of colon cancer, for example. But in children... There's been some research looking at what the risk factors are, and we really don't find that diet or um, where you live, do you live near a power line or not, does not seem to make a difference. What your mother eats or drinks or does for a living when she's uh, expecting doesn't seem to make a difference. So it really, we really have much less um, information about those things, and there really doesn't seem to be anything that you can do or not do to prevent your child from getting cancer. It's, you know, I wish there was a diet or something that we could say do this and, and you decrease your kid's risk of cancer, but we really haven't been able at this point to figure out those kinds of things. When you say um, 11,000 children are being diagnosed with cancer each year and, and that that's a fairly small number, and it is when you take it you know, into consideration nationwide, it sounds like a lot. 11,000 kids with cancer is not a pretty sight. Yes. But 
Yet, does right. that justify the fact that only 4% of all cancer funding goes to pediatric cancer research? Well, I certainly think that there should be more. Uh, I think uh, when you think about all of those children and, you know, that only 4% of cancer funding goes to research for pediatric cancer research, there definitely, in my mind, should be more. I mean, because when you treat a child with cancer uh, therapy, they have the rest of their lives um, to grow up and have a life and have the effects of that therapy. So the therapy that you give a 4-year-old or a 6-year-old or a 12-year-old the, the side effects of that therapy might last their life long. And so I think it's very important for us to figure out therapies that cause minimal damage while maximizing the chance of curing the cancer. And so to me, that's very important. And when you look at the hopefully long lives of the children that we treat, to me, that's worth a significant investment. But isn't it, minimizing side effects in cancer treatment is um, really at play in all cancer treatments, isn't it? It is, but if you think about, you know, some of the, so there, to me, side effects drop into several groups. So there's a bunch of side effects that happen while you're treating the cancer and they go away. Nausea, hair falling out, those kinds of things. But a lot of our current standard treatments still have some long-term effects on, on, for example, on fertility or on the function of the heart or on, you know, causing secondary cancers. And so those kinds of long-term effects are, I think, much more important in somebody who's just starting their life than in a 50 or 60 or 70 year old. Um, and so I think, you know, we, I think that looking at the long-term effects of some of the therapies that we use, it's really important. You know, we have, um, here at CHOP, we have one of the first, what we call survivorship clinic, a clinic for patients who have finished their cancer therapy and are just being monitored for late effects and promoting health after cancer. We have patients that we've followed, over time for a long time. And you can really see that, you know, 50 years ago when we were just using radiation and surgery, patients had a lot of side effects. Now with the new research, these more targeted therapies like immunotherapy, cellular therapy, we're really seeing that we can potentially cause less long-term side effects and then have these children have, you know, longer and healthier lives. And those more targeted uh, therapies, those, those are becoming more and more common in adult patients as well, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. How is uh, treating children with cancer different now than it was? Uh, you know, you referred to uh, 50 years ago, surgery and radiation. Uh, how, how has it changed? Is it with that targeted approach at the, at the cellular level? Yeah, I mean, we're still using surgery and radiation and chemotherapy for lots of patients. But, you know, in the past 10 years or so, the ability to create targeted therapies has really taken off. And uh, the targeted therapies really offer us a different approach. In many instances, they're more effective because they target the cancer cells specifically. And they, because they target the cancer cells specifically, seem to cause less damage to some of the other tissues. And so that kind of research is really moving I think, the field of cancer therapy forward. And you're right, it's happening in adults as well as in children. Um, It's really important that we do that kind of thing. So for, you know, again, like CAR-T therapy, where you take um, cells from a child, train it to kill the cancer, put it back in the child, uh, and it kills the cancer but doesn't kill any of the other cells, that's really important. You know, it's a game changer in terms of uh, treating a leukemia um, from some of the other therapies that we had to use uh, previously for those kinds of patients. Uh, are there um, 
watch signs and, and signals the, the, the way we see for stroke and heart disease and cancer in adults there are these you know little brochures that you know tell you what to avoid mm-hmm. what to watch out for are there are there any watch lists that that parents can can look at learn from and be on the lookout um for well again you know um for any any one child living in this country, the chance that they will get cancer is rare. But I think for parents, what to watch for is a symptom that worries you that doesn't go away. So a lump that grows and doesn't go away or bleeding that is unusual for your child that doesn't stop, very unusual bruising, um, you know, a, a pain that uh, bothers the child that doesn't go away. Those are things that, you know, that feel not normal to you that you should see your pediatrician for and just ask. Uh, in most cases, those things will end up not being cancer, again, because uh, cancer is relatively rare in children. Uh, but if it is a cancer, your pediatrician will be able to find it. And then, you know, one of the important things when your child gets cancer is to be treated in a cancer center that has a lot of experience with children, um, that treats a lot of children with cancer and so knows what the current therapies are and, and uh, you know, how to, how to treat them. Pediatric cancers are... are found in different parts of the body than adult cancers and mm-hmm. is the cancer itself different and and is that why it attacks different parts of the body what what are those differences so at its basic level cancer is a cell is 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 a cluster of cells that that is the same cell growing over and over and over again out of control and taking over an area of the body so it's you know uh, uh, and so the cancers start from a cell in in any different area of your body from the cell of that tissue and grow out of control for example leukemia a cancer of the white cells starts in your bone marrow where the white cells are born and grow and a, a white cell grows out of control and squeezes out the other normal blood forming elements in the bone marrow causing leukemia a bone cancer starts with a bone cell that starts to grow out of control and grows a mass of 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 bone cells that just can't stop growing and causes a mass. So usually a cancer in a tissue comes from the cells of that tissue that somehow transformed from benign, non-cancerous cells into malignant or cancerous cells and then grow out of control to cause a problem. So cancers in different tissues are different just because of the cell that they come from. Well, Doctor, I um, I appreciate you spending this time with me this morning. We're we're just about out of time, but I uh, always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Um, is there uh, are there some resources? Is there a website, perhaps at uh, Children's Hospital of uh, Philadelphia um, or or others that is a good place to learn more? Absolutely. At our cancer center at chop.edu slash cancer, uh, we have lots of information about different kinds of cancer, lots of information about different therapies and research that we're doing and efforts to support our research. So that's chop.edu slash cancer. Well, Dr. thanks so much and uh, have a great day. Well, thank you. You too. Have a great day. Bye-bye. That was uh, Dr. Ann Riley. She is... Uh, the pediatric oncologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight.
Tom Sumner Program.com Hey! <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now! And now, and now too, and even now! The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Every morning just to keep my job I gotta fight my way through the hustle and mob Sounds of the city pounding in my brain Well, another day goes down the drain It's a five o'clock world where the whistle blows No one owns a piece of my time And there's a five o'clock me inside my clothes Thinking that the world looks fine Time for the pay I get I'm living on money that I ain't made yet It's hard going but I make my way But I live for the end of the day It's a five o'clock world where the whistle blows No one knows a piece of my time There's a long-haired girl who waits I know To ease my troubled mind, yeah Every time my baby smiles at me, I know it's all worthwhile. The time summer program.com.
Well, don't think I'm trying not to learn Since this is the perfect spot to learn Teach me tonight Starting with the ABC of it Right on through the XYZ of it Help me solve that mystery of it Teach me tonight The sky is a blackboard So very high above you Should a shooting star go by I take that star to write I love you A thousand times across the sky One thing isn't very clear, my love Should the teacher stand so near, my love Graduations almost here, my love. Teach me Teach me 
Graduation's almost here, my Teach me tonight. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that's not right. Welcome back, everybody. That wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. This uh, last segment was uh, a little bit of local music. Always nice when we can squeeze that in. We managed to get a little comedy in as as well um, earlier in the hour. Uh, musically, that was uh, that last song was kind of a send up to uh, all the people headed back to school. A song called "Teach Me Tonight," probably best known from Nat King Cole, but that was uh, the late greats, Flint's own uh, Joe Fray, Frayer singing uh, and, and playing drums, and uh, the late great Dave Kozel on keyboards and everything else performed live. And then uh, before that, we heard a little something, uh, the 5 o'clock world from three men and a tenor. Great show today. We had, uh, uh, of course, we talked about uh, pediatric cancer research with Dr. Ann Riley from uh, Philadelphia. And then uh, we spent a couple hours talking about uh, Louise Penny. Um, Actually, not talking about Louise Penny. We, we spent the second hour of the show talking with Louise Penny, who is a number one New York Times best-selling author of the Armand Gamache series. He is the uh, um, chief inspector of the Sûreté de Québec, and uh, it's a Canadian-based uh, mystery series and read in uh, recent audiobooks by noted actor Robert Bathurst. We talked with him during the first hour about the uh, the latest book, which was, is, uh, let me get it in front of me, All the Devils Are Here. And uh, for those of you who don't recognize Robert Bathurst's name, he uh, played Sir Anthony Strallen in Downton Abbey. And uh, he's also... Uh, in uh, Toast of London, which is currently playing in the U.S. Well, tomorrow we're going to have uh, Christy Boreal. Um, It's kind of an an encore. She uh, has written a book recently called Kushner, Inc., and I think you'll find it an interesting warm-up to tomorrow's uh, Armchair Politics. Tomorrow is Wednesday. So it's uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Should be a fun, fun roundtable. I hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.